Welcome to episode 11 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Mike McGuigan, Professor at the Sports Performance Research Institute in New Zealand. Hi guys, welcome to episode 11 of the podcast. Got another great guest coming up today in Mike McGuigan. The reason I wanted to get in touch with Mike was to talk about certain things he discusses in his chapter in High Performance Training for Sports uh, just, and just chat about some of his research that has been published of late. Uh, it's a great interview with Mike. He talks about prioritising intervention off the back of performance testing uh, as well as the most effective way to present data to coaches. Before I get into the interview, if you'd like to check out previous episodes, you can check them out at patientperformance.co.uk. You can also subscribe on iTunes and get all the previous episodes on there. You can also follow me on Twitter at PatientPerform and I put all the links uh, to the latest episodes on there. As always, if you want to write a review on iTunes and give us a rating, that would be massively appreciated. After all that, let's get on to the interview with Mike. Okay, welcome to episode 11 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Before I get Mike to introduce himself, I'd just like to say a big thank you to... Uh, to Mike for coming to us from from New Zealand. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, Rob. Do you want to uh, anyone that kind of doesn't know your background and what you what you currently do, and do you want to give us a little bit of uh, an introduction? Sure. Yeah, I'm currently a professor of strength conditioning at AUT University uh, here in Auckland, New Zealand. So my main role is uh, teaching and research in the areas of sports science, strength conditioning. Uh, and I also supervise a lot of postgraduate students who are working in the applied strength and conditioning field. In addition to that, I do have a role with Netball New Zealand. I'm the research and innovation coordinator for the Silver Ferns, so I do have a, a practical role as well. Really good. Just getting on to the kind of the meat of the conversation, we're just speaking a little bit beforehand just about the um, the book that David Joyce has brought out that obviously you've contributed to. I actually put it to a group, his group on Facebook and David commented on about a question that he, uh, he wanted to post. He kind of um, said how well you'd put across the kind of statistics part of things, uh, how accessible he'd made it for, for guys reading the book. But he just wanted to say uh, about you know, a bit of explanation on the importance uh, of calculating a worthwhile change in testing performance. Would you mind giving us a little bit of uh, thoughts on that? Sure. Um, yes, so the chapter itself, I mean, it, it was all around evaluating athletic capacities. And I think one of the critical things I've found over the years in terms of when in, whenever we do any type of assessment of athletes, a fundamental question is if you're doing a fitness test or some sort of assessment of a physical capacity, if you get a change following a program from pre to post, um, I think one of the most important concepts to try and figure out is what constitutes a change that's worthwhile. So, you know, for example, we might uh, have, a, have a group of athletes training, doing an eight-week training program, we see an improvement in strength. What what constitutes a worthwhile change in terms of that actual measure. So that's what smallest worthwhile change is all about. Um, and as a concept and as a measure, it's really based on the work of Will Hopkins. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he has done a lot of work in this area around ways that we can quantify and measure athlete performance. And one of the concepts he's 
talks a lot about is this idea of smallest worthwhile change. So it's really just a, giving the, the practitioner or the coach a measure that they can use which can actually indicate to, to you, have you seen a change in performance? And if you have, is it something that's worthwhile? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um because there's so I mean, there's so much kind of testing equipment that's so accessible now, th- there seems a lot to be a lot of testing going on. To it's easy to very easy to kind of justify your job through through the testing kind of process. Um, but do you think the the testing data has been effectively put across to coaches in a in a way that they're kind of you know talking their their language? That's a really good question. I would say, um, in my experience, that it's done well in some programs, um, but in a lot of programs, it's probably not done as well. Um, I think, again, a critical thing if you are going to be doing any type of testing with athletes is that it's put in such a way, in terms of interpreting the results, that coaches can understand and they can actually implement. Um, and so I, I talk quite a bit about it, about that in the chapter as well, um, trying to give coaches some strategies that they can use if they are trying to report information and testing results back to the to the team coach, mm-hmm. and how they can do that effectively. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of testing, if you are going to test in your program, it needs to be something that can be actually used and implemented and I'm not convinced that it's something that's done consistently consistently well across the industry mm. I mean just get delving a little bit deeper uh, from your experience what I know it's a very broad question but what kind of you know how to present data for coaches what kind of thing works really well from your experience oh, I think I've tried a few different things over the years um, I think the critical thing I found um, and it's something that in sports science we we've haven't done well um, is that I think you need to report results back pretty quickly mm-hmm. to coaches. Mm-hmm. That'd be step one for me. Uh, so you know I've seen plenty of examples of where I've been involved in research projects and I've seen testing that's happened and you know it can sometimes take weeks before the information gets fed back if if at all mm-hmm. to the coaches and. So I think that's step one, is if you can get the information back to the coach and to the players, ideally, uh, within a a small window, then I think that really helps. Um, But then in terms of the way you present the information, I mean, the the good thing about it is that there's a number of different ways you can go about doing that. I think I found generally something which is visual uh, in terms of some sort of graph or figure mm-hmm. generally is something that coaches can interpret um, a bit more easily than say like a spreadsheet of numbers mm-hmm. so I think, think it can be important to give the numbers but you do need to give some context for the numbers and I think uh, graphs and figures that are presented well are a good way to do that um, so w- one of the methods that we've used quite a lot and this is something that um, I, I did a lot with uh, my PhD supervisor Rob Newton um, is the use of radar plots or mm-hmm. spider plots yeah. in Excel. And it's a really good visual way that the coach and the athlete can look at and they can see straight away on that plot what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And you can also express the information relative to the squad average if you're testing a squad of players. We can set a benchmark for those particular scores. So that, that's just one way. Um, and, and in my experience, that's probably been the one that I think has been the most effective. Mm. in terms of uh, being 
both easily understood uh, by the coaches and then also something that can actually drive your programming as well. So how, how does that differ when you're presenting to players? Is that, is that the same kind of, uh, oh, same kind I of principles? I think, again, it depends on the player and okay. also it depends on the coach as well. Um, mm. You know, some some athletes really do want to get in and understand the numbers, um, so you, you can you can spend a little bit more time talking about some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, um, something simple, something visual, and I think that those radar plots are a good way that I've I've found both coaches and also athletes can really. Um, relate quite well to. Mm. I mean, just just moving a little bit to the actual the testing itself um, that you talk a little bit about in the book. Take FMS for example. There's so much uh, something as simple to implement kind of kicks back so much so much data. How do you go about prioritising that in an effective way? Yeah, I mean that, that's the other challenge as well that we have in our profession as well mm. um, because. Yeah, it can be when you're talking about certain types of sports, you've got a lot of capacities that you can be potentially looking to measure and that we know are important for performance. So I think what what needs to happen first off is you need to do a really good needs analysis of the sport um, and understand what the demands of that particular sport or event are. Yeah. Um, and I think that can go a long way to helping you prioritise what particular um, tests you do want to use. And I think also you're going to be driven to an extent as well by the logistics of the program Mm -hmm. that you're working in. Uh, So, for example, if you're working with one or two athletes, uh, you you might be able to implement a bit more of an extensive testing battery. Mm -hmm. But say if working with a squad of athletes and you've got 30 to 40 players, then you're going to have challenges around the, 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 the amount of tests you can implement how you can implement them. Um, and then you've got also the factors related to the sport and the program, and that's a lot of that's coach-driven. So mm. you know, what are your windows you have available for you for testing um, with those particular athletes? But I think first, first step is always go back to basics, look at the sport, look at the event, prioritise what are the demands of that sport, and then from there try and generate what you think is a valid testing battery. And, and you, you know, that's going to rely on looking at sources of information on the sport, talking to the coaches. And I think I think first off as well, it's always better to keep things relatively simple. Uh, so trying to really hone in on what you feel are the three or four key things you need to be looking at um, and then deciding on what those particular tests are going to be. Mm-hmm. But then following on from that, you, depending on what particular test you're going to choose, and I think you alluded to this in your, your question, is a lot of those tests do generate a lot of information as well. So the next challenge then is once you've decided on what your testing battery looks like, is how are you going to use those tests? What are the variables from the test you're actually going to use in your assessment? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of that as well is going to come from having a good understanding of the test and the sport, and then how are you going to use the information? I think is also critical as well. So, would, from from your experience, would that be would you kind of use that um, that theory with development developmental athletes, or would you kind of uh, on an individual basis? I mean, or would you kind of go more more general athleticism rather than honing on the particular sport? 
Uh, again, it's it's a tough one to answer because it's so it's driven so much by the circumstances and yeah, the, yeah. the program you're dealing with. I think um, so. It's it's really difficult to come up with a fountain with general guidelines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think in that sort of scenario, when you're dealing with uh, developmental athletes, then yeah, I would agree. You'd probably there um, looking at an overall general athletic profile mm-hmm. is going to be beneficial mm-hmm. so it's going to be trying to come up with tests that you feel capture that mm-hmm. uh, again keeping it relatively simple I think is always a good strategy rather than making it too complicated uh, and generating some some valid information is, is going to be an important part of that process uh, I mean I just, one of the things I always find as well and, and talked about this a bit earlier but we, we always have this ideal scenario of what we want to do with our testing um, but you know, we are driven by the reality of the of the program that we're in. So that's going to be really the critical thing that's going to determine how extensive you are going to make your battery, I think. Yeah. I mean, just going, referring to the book again, you mentioned that sprint ability is linked to kind of making the team in, in NFL, but agility, bench press and vertical horizontal jumps weren't. Does that, when you kind of come across that scenario, does that mean that testing them components is worthless? Oh, again, I think that's, in that scenario I think we were talking about in the book, it was just an example of yeah. a couple of research studies yeah, yeah. that have been done where they looked at um, what are variables that are important for that particular sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly wouldn't base a decision on a testing battery on, say, one or two studies yeah. that are in the literature. I think... You know, an important thing would be to actually look at um, sources of information and ideally a good starting point is the research literature. Uh, so it may be that you need to do some sort of mini-lit review where you actually go and look and see, okay, what's been done on that sport with those particular athletes that I'm dealing with, um, making sure that it's at the same sort of level that I'm going to be testing mm-hmm. with the athletes I'm dealing with. But I, so I think, yeah, that can be a good starting point to really identify uh, what are tests or components of fitness that you do need to, to look at. Uh, and I think then also talking to other professionals as well yeah. is going to be an important step to go through as well because they might be able to give you some insight in terms of, you know, for a sport like that, whether there are components that they feel um, are more important than others. But ultimately... You as the practitioner, I think, need to make the decision. But I, you know, I always think it's important to have as much information as possible to go on in making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, just moving on a little bit. When te- say taking uh, strength, for example, obviously it's it's kind of easy to get in the gym and and chase numbers. But uh, how how difficult is it to to determine, say, strength, for example, uh, how much strength actually transfers to performance? How difficult is that? Is there a, I mean, I've seen loads of stuff, you know, how strong is strong enough? Um, you know, how, how difficult is that to determine? Uh, it can be very difficult to yeah. determine. It's a, yeah. And it's a question that gets asked all the time. Yeah, we, yeah. we try, in, in research, we're trying to answer that question as best we can. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, and you can apply that to any capacity that we, we can talk about, whether it be strength or beat sprintability endurance, whatever it is, and how that relates to performance, particularly when you're dealing with team sports. Um, I mean, for certain events and particular sports, I think it's it's a bit more clear, but 
Um, you know, I've spent a lot of the work I've done has been with team sports, and I think it, that's a really challenging environment um, to try and answer that particular question. Um, and as you say, you know, it can be pretty straightforward um, method of going through and improving strength in the, in the weight room. Um, but then it's always, if you're working as a practitioner, um, that's only a very small piece of the puzzle, as you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, you need to be thinking big picture in terms of how do these how do these capacities that we're developing in our athletes actually relate to performance. Um, mm. And I think hopefully, you know, we're starting to generate a lot more of that information from um, the applied research that's happening all over the place uh, in terms of understanding uh, what determines uh, performance on the field. Um, but I think keeping it simple, going back to those first principles and um, you know, identifying what are those capacities we need to de develop, how do we develop those and how we measure those is, is, is a good starting point. So would you, for, for your athletes, say in a, a football team or rugby team or whatever it is, would you be giving them kind of uh, directives, say you've got to hit this point before you can do this? Or would it be a very, very individual, you know, say, say, say for a squat, you've got to be at a squat two times body weight before you can do this? Or would you kind of individualise it a lot more? Yeah, it tends to be individualised as much as possible. Uh, again, is the challenge that you have if you're a practitioner when you're working with multiple athletes, uh, where you would love to be able to sit down and individualise every single program for every player, um, but sometimes logistically that's just not possible. But yeah, ideally that's what you would do, um, and that's where I think a really solid uh, testing battery, and so if you, we take the example of strength and power, um, doing that, that profiling approach where you look at some different components of strength and power for the individual, and then generate that information, that testing information. Um, go back to what's been done previously in terms of research studies and published information that might be out there. And I think so with a sport like rugby, it's it's going to be it's going to be individual ideally, but a lot of it is going to be looking at positional demands. I would have said would drive a lot of um, that information. Um, so looking at establishing benchmarks for particular types of movements or tests that you are, yeah, you are using in your program that you feel um, best reflect what's ideal for that particular position or that particular player. So you know, as much as possible within the constraints of the environment you're dealing with, you would individualise it. That'd be the way, way to do it. I mean, from, from personal experience, going back a, a couple of years now, when kind of people talk about individualising training, uh, it kind of gives the impression that every single person is kind of getting a... A, a very you know it's so different to the next person when obviously we know that that's that's not going to be the case but from so from you know with experience these athletes whether you're working with rugby or football fit in a certain boxes because obviously you can see you can see a trends trends appearing over time is that something you'd agree with or you know do, do, th do things need to be very individual I know you're looking at logistics and you know big squads. Yeah, it's, well, it's I difficult. think you can you can make general classifications yeah. um, across programs depending on the sport you're dealing with, because there's going to be factors. I think like what level of development the players are coming in at. You know, what's their training history? What's their training age? Uh, so that's I think going to be a big part of that piece of the puzzle. Uh, that's going to be important to consider. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's a really difficult one 
to to answer. Um, the the challenge that we have as well, um, and you know, I'm putting my my research hat on here, is that they really they are difficult questions to answer as well. Uh, research design um, perspective. So, you know, we've got a pre I think we've got a getting a good handle on um, how we can improve these capacities and what types of things work and what things don't work as well. Um, but then actually getting down to the level of the individual and, and understanding um, what's happening there a lot of times can be quite difficult. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's good to see in, in the research that um, we are starting to see, I think, a bit more of that case study approach being used. I, I think that will, that will go some way to helping us answer um, some of those questions. Um, yeah, it's it's a, that's a it's a difficult one to to address. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the strengths of uh, high performance training for sports. There's that there's a, ca a case study every chapter, every other chapter, which kind of allows you to hone in on someone's experience. This is what happened, uh, and this is what we did, uh, rather than yeah. just kind of you know, going through the literature or whatever. Uh, so I think that's certainly one strength one strength in that book. Um, but just going. Onto your your research, is there anything that you're kind of doing at the minute that's that's proven really interesting? Uh, well, look, I've got quite a few things going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, I have quite a few really good postgraduate students mm -hmm. um, doing some doing different things across quite a range of different sports. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know a lot of a lot of stuff that I've been doing probably the last five years or so has been around this question of. Um, you know, assessment of strength and power, and then also, and then how we use that information for, for programming. Um, so, uh, one of one of my PhD students, Travis McMaster, who's just um, graduated, did a whole series of studies in, in rugby union players, looking at um, different ways of assessing strength and power, and looking at some ballistic assessments. And he did some really interesting studies where looking at that that approach of you know based on the the testing information what's the training prescription that you give those particular athletes and then what sorts of changes that you see in performance so that's probably an area that you know i'd like to continue um working in i've got a we've been doing quite a lot of work recently as well around um isometric assessment and it's been something that i've done for for a few years um, you know, and there's been a lot of good work done by people like Greg Haff as well around using um, isometrics from an assessment standpoint. Um, and we've just had a couple of studies that we've um, coming close to completing now where we're looking at um, also the training aspect of it. So looking at the assessment of isometrics, but then, you know, what happens when you train athletes isometrically versus dynamically? What are some of the differential effects in terms of the changes in strength, but also what happens to to measures like speed as well. And then the, the final one that I've just got a student starting now is um, one of the big things in, in a lot of strength sports is people know is this whole idea of peaking for performance. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good work that's been done around tapering in endurance sports, um, less done, I guess, with team sports and with strength sports. So I've got another uh, student who's about to start his PhD looking at tapering f with powerlifters. So we're going to be looking at some different training models and tapering strategies um, for a pure strength sport. So that's just an example of a few things that have on the go at the moment. 
Yeah, so, so when it comes to when it comes to tapering and peaking, how does I mean I know you're looking at kind of um, you mentioned powerlifting where people have got to maybe one meet every couple of weeks, every couple of months, but how does that differ when you've kind of got a football player who's or a rugby player who's you know having to peak every Saturday or every Saturday and then Tuesday? Yeah. Is is <laughs> does peaking exist? Yeah, it's it's very different. I think you know the thing I like about it is. Um, you know, we talked about how strong is strong enough in a sport like powerlifting. Yeah. <laughs> Never is strong enough. Yeah, so, exactly, yeah. You know, from that standpoint, it's, it's, yeah. it, it simplifies things quite a bit. Yeah, I think is, from yeah. a um, from a peaking side of things and from a tapering side of things, I mean, the first thing we, we want to do is we really just want to establish what is current practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the first things that we're doing with our initial studies is really just getting an understanding of what, what are some of the common strategies that are being used um, by lifters, and yeah, I think it, it's going to be very different to what you, the demands are that, that are going to be on an event or a team sport where you've got uh, you know a game or two games a week. Um, so there's there's a lot of differences, and I think that that would be another really um, and there's there's a little bit of stuff that's starting to come out and that's been done, but obviously that that whole um, area of tapering and peaking. In relation to team sports as well is another area that, um, while it's really difficult to study those types of questions, it'll be good to, to get more information on that as well. Yeah, no, that's really good. But I know we're coming up to we're coming up to half an hour, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep here longer. I'd just like to thank you again for for having a chat and giving us insight insights, um, especially focusing around the book, which I think uh, the chapter's great. Like I said at the start, and what David said as well, it's, it's so easy to to get bogged down in the kind of things that, that you talk about, but it, it brings it up and, and makes it so much clearer. So that's that's been great. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Don't forget you can keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast uh, if you follow me on Twitter at Pace Perform. You can also check out previous episodes of the podcast at paceperformance.co.uk. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes as well. And I know I've mentioned it a million times, but if you do want to write a review on iTunes and give us a rating, I'd massively appreciate it. And I will check you in episode 12.